Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Our guest here at Beeson today is Attorney General Luther Strange. He is the Attorney General of the state of Alabama, a distinguished attorney, a longtime activist in public and civic affairs. Welcome, Attorney General Strange, to this podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Now, there are many things we could talk about, but I, in particular, was struck by a comment you made recently on the Alabama Supreme Court ruling that held that the plain meaning of the word child in the chemical endangerment statute of our state includes an unborn child. And you made a very important statement about that. You said it was a landmark decision. I wonder uh, if you would just review what the statute says and then give us a little fuller understanding of your response to it. Well, I'd be happy to do that. And uh, we're fortunate to live in a state like Alabama, which has a public policy uh, that is uh, simply stated to protect life, both born and unborn. And this case arose out of that policy, a law passed by our legislature in the area of child abuse. And the particular uh, law has to do with chemical endangerment. That is, uh, mothers who may uh, expose their children uh, to ingest certain chemicals, hazardous methamphetamine and other drugs Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, defining that as child abuse, simply stated. And it imposes some pretty strong penalties uh, for this chemical endangerment. The question arose in Alabama as to whether or not the unborn were children for purposes of the statute, or did it have to be someone who was already born? And our Supreme Court, I'm very proud to say, uh, issued a very strong opinion affirming that the law applied to both born and unborn children. So it was a definition of the word child to cover both. And uh, it, although it's limited to the child abuse area, it does have, I believe, uh, implications beyond that. Was the uh, decision unanimous or divided? How was it? The decision was not a unanimous decision. There were a couple of dissenters, uh, although I think they uh, simply uh, misunderstood some of the uh, earlier precedents about viability. A, an example, in my view, of some of the confusion sown by the Roe v. Wade case. Uh, in the end, though, the court, uh, by a substantial majority, upheld the law. Now, you, as the attorney general of the state of Alabama, are charged, uh, I believe, with enforcing these laws, seeing to it that they are uh, actually enforced. How will this ruling affect your work in law enforcement? Well, you're exactly right. My job is to uh, uphold and defend the Constitution of our state and the United States and our laws. And so my office doesn't make the laws. We are charged with defending them. In this case, um, and I did ask some of the district attorneys, how is this law going to be applied? And they view it as a child abuse tool that they can use to encourage, maybe it's not a strong enough word, but to work with women who may not otherwise get help and get mm. off the addiction mm. they're on and be reunited with their children. So sometimes you have to have a tough love statute like that, mm. but in practice, and I've talked to several district attorneys, what they're doing is hoping to use this to get mothers to take rehabilitation seriously so that they can get reunited with their children and uh, be productive citizens. So it has a remedial intent for both the child and the mother. 
in terms of what that would be for the betterment of society. That's correct. Yeah, that's wonderful. I wonder if you could just step aside for a moment from the state of Alabama. We want to to return to Alabama, but think about this on a national scale because there have recently been not exactly identical laws but similar laws related to preborn children in North and South Dakota and, in in fact, in other states as well. Talk about that in terms of, is this the beginning of a national trend? Uh, Do you see this happening in other places? What are the implications of this? We do see this uh, type of law being passed in other states, as you mentioned, uh, the two Dakotas, for example, in other states. And I think it is part of a broader national trend to try and uh, tighten our protections for unborn children. And we see it not only in this particular child abuse uh, circumstance, but also in our criminal laws such as uh, murder. If you kill someone, you've made uh, a pregnant woman, you've killed her unborn child. Mm -hmm. Criminal law, civil law, uh, and other areas. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. And I expect it will percolate up to the United States Supreme Court in more than one area because not all states come down the way Alabama's Supreme Court. Yes, exactly. North Dakota's Supreme Court, with a very similar chemical endangerment statute, came out the other way. Yeah. That uh, puts us on a path to getting uh, to the Supreme Court. Some uh, ultimate decision from the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Of course, it was in 1973 at the Supreme Court that the infamous decision Roe v. Wade uh, was decided. Um, There's been much, much debate about that, of course, and continues to be. For a number of years, uh, many people in the pro-life movement hoped and prayed, and some of us still do, that that very damaging uh, ruling by the United States Supreme Court might be overturned or reversed. Uh, That doesn't seem to be an imminent likelihood. I wonder what you think about that and how these other laws, which seem to be chipping away maybe in some way at uh, the sanction of uh, the termination of preborn human life by R.V. Wade, how that can be maybe in some ways mitigated somewhat by this trend we see happening. Well, I think you described it very well, the infamous Roe v. Wade decision. Uh, And we are seeing some chipping away by recognizing uh, the 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 sanctity in a way that we <clears throat> didn't in his, didn't historically. And I, let me go back because we did a little research into the history of, of uh, the right to life, going way back, and what was Roe v. Wade v. Wade based on? And uh, there was something in the common law and the traditional treatment of of uh, abortion that involved what's called quickening. And I wasn't familiar with that. But apparently in the common law, hundreds of years ago in England, uh, a child was recognized when uh, the mother could feel the movement. Mm. Then the child, that was a term was called quickening. Mm-hmm. And because of a couple of quirks, uh, you know, that was where they sort of established the right to life, if you will. And I'm talking very generally here. But um, over time, and that's what Roe v. Wade relied on. The common law said this. Of course, hundreds of years later, we've learned that uh, – what really a fetus is all about when when they come, what life really means we know a lot more scientifically a lot more scientifically and so it, it, and frankly all the states most of the states majority of states anyway in our country prohibited abortion you know and the, so the Roe v Wade case was very poorly decided it's wrong i hope that it will be overturned but our best hope now is to continue to chip away mm-hmm. until we get the right case to go back to the supreme court on I was so impressed. Uh, Recently, we had the March for Life in Washington, and there were more than 600,000, more than half a million people who, many young people, uh, General Strange, came out, 20s, 30s, uh, teenagers, 
to say this is wrong. Uh, we need to stand up for life, whether it's children waiting to be born or those already born. All life is precious in the sight of God, should be welcomed in life and protected by law. That was so encouraging to see that I think there is a shift, uh, especially among younger people. As they think about this, they see the sonograms, there's more evidence. Uh, that's an encouraging thing to me to see. It's extraordinarily encouraging. You're exactly right. Um, and I see that, too, as I travel around our state. Uh, law enforcement, the child advocacy centers, uh, all the great people that are doing work to find foster homes, to do mentoring, uh, the great work that's done in our emergency rooms, just across the board. People are united to try and respect life, to encourage women uh, who may be in a difficult situation. There are lots of options. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm very encouraged by what I see. And legally, we're going to continue to press this matter uh, very aggressively. Now, you've also been involved as the Attorney General uh, in a number of other suits related to the question of religious freedom, religious liberty. That's something that's become, of course, a major issue for us in this country across all different lines. Um, the Catholic Church has been very much in the front of saying this is an important issue for us. But many evangelical Christians and other Christians have come together, and many other citizens who are not of any particular religious uh, persuasion, uh, to make an increasingly, I think, vocal point about the protection of religious liberty. Could you say a little bit about why that's important and your own involvement in some of the cases related to it? Well, our uh, freedom of religion is one of our first freedoms in this country. And it's, uh, if you think about it, one of the if not the most important reason the country was founded, people who came here seeking that. And so uh, it's obviously a top priority uh, for me and many in the, in the religious community. Uh, we've become involved in the state of Alabama uh, as a result of the mandate imposed by Obamacare on certain religious institutions or people with religious uh, principles who do not want to be subject to a mandate that requires them to do something that's opposed to their religious principles. So the example that I cite and affects us here in the state of Alabama is the EWTN, Catholic Broadcasting Network, employs several hundred people. They're being required under regulations to provide contraceptive uh, uh, services uh, or uh, pills and so forth under their insurance coverage for their employees. They object to that on religious and moral grounds. And many of those are abortifacient. I mean, they actually produce abortions. Absolutely. The morning after pills. Mm -hmm. Everything's included. These are things that are readily available in society. But to mandate a religious institution to provide something that they have a religious uh, basis for opposing is really uh, an, encro uh, uh, an encroachment on our religious liberties. Catholic Church, as you mentioned, many others are up in arms about it. And uh, it's worse than just that. It also has now been extended to apply to private industries or companies that have very strong religious principles, the uh, Hobby Lobby, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. uh, who may end up having to pay millions of dollars to the government or they'll have to uh, uh, take uh, their employees off insurance, which means they go to some state-provided service. And it's just a bad policy, bad law. Now, recently, the uh, administration, the Obama administration, has offered what's called a compromise on this issue, uh, which doesn't seem to really meet uh, the basic concerns that are raised by religious groups. Would you comment about that? Well, I agree with those groups. I don't think there is a compromise yet that's, um, that's satisfactory. And I think the only solution is to remove this requirement, which is very onerous. It's frankly just one of many of the problems that will probably come from this massive reorganization of our health care system. But my concern as attorney general is when our Constitution 
uh, is violated or when uh, the government uh, overreaches its authority. And that's really what's at stake here, and it happens to be uh, dealing with our fundamental first freedom of religion. It was in 2009 that uh, the late Chuck Colson and Dr. Robert George of Princeton and I drafted the Manhattan Declaration, which said on these three issues, the sanctity of every human life and marriage as a lifelong covenantal union of one man and one woman and religious freedom, we, we would stand together as Christian believers, Catholics, Protestant, Evangelicals, Orthodox, and we would take a stand here because we felt something really basic was at stake in our faith, but also in our culture, in our country. Uh, so far, we've had 535,000 other Christians join us in that affirmation, and we continue to recruit more and more to come alongside and say, yes, we will stand there. And we, we close that uh, statement uh, with a somewhat jarring affirmations, received a lot of press. I wonder what you would think about it. Uh, we say that we will render to Caesar everything that is Caesar's, but under no circumstances will we render to Caesar that which is God's. And we quote Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who made a similar kind of argument, of course, in his protest against unjust segregation laws in the South. Uh, what do you think about that kind of uh, a little bit uh, aggressive, maybe, statement? We don't always expect this from pastors and priests, but it was born out of a deep sense of religious conviction. What do you think about it? Well, Dr. George, I'm a great admirer of your work and of that declaration, and I'm wholly supportive of it. Um, I, I put the religious freedom issues in the category of our next great civil rights battle, frankly. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fundamental um, uh, principles that you espouse uh, are shouldn't be uh, so controversial in my view, but I guess in today's culture uh, they seem to be, but they're important. Uh, they're not new issues. I mean, they've been around for a long time, and yet they seem to be under renewed assault today in our culture, and that was the motivation that Chuck Colson and some of the rest of us felt it's really important to make this statement. These aren't the only issues, of course, people of faith should be concerned about, but if we can't agree on these basic fundamental issues, uh, we have little basis for thinking about other uh, ethical concerns as well. I couldn't agree more. And we face these issues in law enforcement. As the chief law enforcement officer, I see the results of our culture. I see it in uh, uh, problems with crime, with uh, domestic abuse, uh, drug abuse, all the things that come out of a current culture that if it doesn't outright condone some of these things, it certainly has removed some of the traditional uh, restraints, moral values, uh, things that we took for granted. And uh, I'll make myself sound very old, but I was an Eagle Scout when I was 13. I learned certain fundamental principles. But we have to keep in mind not everybody does. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's why our churches uh, and our leaders of faith are so important. Now, we certainly want our public officials to be fair and equitable and not partial uh, to any one religious group, although uh, we we do allow and encourage uh, public officials to have their own personal faith commitment. And I wonder if you might share with us something of your own faith commitment and journey in faith and how you think that relates to some of the public actions you're required to take as our attorney general in Alabama. Well, thank you for that question. I'm not ashamed uh, to speak about my own personal faith. I think it's an important my – my Christian faith is a fundamental part of who I am. It um, Prayer, I firmly believe in the uh, – power of prayer. I pray every day for the wisdom, the strength, and the courage to know and to do God's will. 
Uh, and as I go around the state, the most important thing I, when I'm asked what's the most important thing can we do for you, my uh, answer is always uh, please keep me in your prayers mm. uh, because mm. we do have a chance in my line of work to see evil uh, firsthand, mm. and it's real, and uh, that's why my faith is so important to me. That's great. Well, uh, many of our listeners are pastors. They're sometimes lay people in the church. They're just folks who are listening, maybe of no particular uh, religious uh, tradition or uh, people of faith of different traditions. Uh, Do you have a closing word you might just address to people of faith in general? How should Christians with pro-life convictions, how should people who believe these things are really morally imperative, uh, make their voices heard in the public square? And what can the church and the academy, we're a divinity school in a university setting, uh, what can we do uh, to also in an appropriate way uh, make our voices heard in the public square? Well, that's uh, something that's near and dear to my heart as I try and encourage particularly young people, people that I meet in the church communities, to uh, get involved in politics. So often people want to throw up their hands and Mm. say, it's impossible, I can't make a difference. Well, you can, and the first thing to do is be educated. Uh, Listen to podcasts like this Mm -hmm. and read read your work. Then uh, there's no excuse not to be educated in today's world with all the uh, resources at hand. Question authority, I firmly believe in that. Um, and then put, go into action. Mm-hmm. Going back to your comment about the great turnout we had in the mm-hmm. March for Life, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Our public officials want to know what their uh, constituents, the people that vote for them, are thinking. And I would not be shy at all in communicating with them. You might even catch one of them at church and take care of them after church <laughs> and, and uh, thank them if they're doing the right thing. Yeah. But uh, keep them, keep their feet to the fire. There's a prophetic dimension in the Christian life, and we should not abandon it. That's right. Guest today has been a wonderful conversation with the Chief Constitutional Enforcement Officer, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. of the state of Alabama, Mr. Luther Strange, Attorney General of our state. Thank you, uh, General Strange, for giving us this time and for your own commitment and leadership on these really pivotal moral issues of our culture today. Well, thank you, Dr. George. It's an honor to be in this position and to be with you today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.